Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber and I am sitting here with Andrew Hunter-Murray, Anna Chazinski and Alex Bell. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Chazinski. Yep, my fact this week is that the inventor of the Venn diagram also invented a machine that automatically bowls cricket balls. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's, you can see how the two cross over, because uh, the Venn diagram is circular. Well, there are circles in it, right? And the cricket balls are circular, I suppose. Yeah. So I think that's where he got the inspiration. So does that mean that you could draw a Venn diagram of cricket-related inventions involving balls in one circle yeah. and Venn diagrams in another circle. And uh-huh. then in the middle, you've got this guy who invented both. So that's not a Venn diagram huh? because the, you've just fallen into the biggest Venn diagram trap that the internet ever creates, which is that really annoying thing where it has, as you've just said, this thing plus this thing equals John Venn. But that's not what a Venn diagram is. It's is that just, a Euler diagram? It's just, no, it's, not, it's a nothing. It's just a thing the internet makes up. Okay, do I really have to explain Venn diagrams? Yes, please. <laughs> so I guess let's imagine you've got two circles. And one circle is a, a set, so a category. And there's a bunch of stuff in that category, let's say animals. Um, and then you've got another circle, which is another set. Um, things called Barney things called Barney. Yeah. Exactly. And then you have, oh, this is difficult because I don't know if we're counting Barney the dinosaur as an actual animal. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, I think we need a third Venn diagram circle, which is Sorry. fictional soft all, creatures. All fictional and real animals ever created. <laughs> there we go. Then you can get Barney in the middle. So the thing in the middle has to belong to those categories. So for your thing to work, John Venn would have to be a type of cricket ball or whatever and a type of Venn diagram, neither but, of which Okay, fine. What about inventors of things that are round, to do with round things and invented the things that to do with crickets Love and he it. invented both because cricket balls are round and venn diagrams are round yeah. oh no but they're not to do with cricket are they we've it's, really got sidetracked it's, it's guys. amazing that john venn worked it out with this <laughs> level amazing. of complication amazing. He, didn't, he didn't call them venn diagrams which no. i didn't know so they are a subcategory of euler diagrams things where you're representing information in circles but they don't have to be linked and then venn diagrams are eulerian circles but where there is an intersection between the two they're Euler diagrams, aren't they? Don't know. I thought his name was Euler. Yeah, you're probably right, actually. But yeah, yeah. His, the other, it is a thing that people confuse as well. I think the difference is that the Venn diagram, if you imagine the three intersecting things, mm. it can include empty sections. So let's say, let's say you've got two circles and one of them is uh, mammals and another one is birds and they're intersecting. You have to have that middle intersection, even though there's no such thing as a bird that's also a mammal. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, so um, he is said to have invented this diagram in mm-hmm. 1881. That is the date that's put on the first time that he, he came up with the concept. Um, so I was looking into 1881 just to see what other scientific inventions mm-hmm. happened that year. And it was an amazing year, really. A lot of, lot of things happened. So Charles Darwin published his final scientific book which was called The Formation of Vegetable Mould Through the Actions of Worms. Uh, Mm. It's not exactly And the Deathly Hallows, is it? (laughs) (laughs) The first modern caesarean section was performed in 1881. 
wasn't it? Yeah. Wow. Alexander Fleming was born in 1881. And then uh, lastly, Carlos Finlay, who was a Cuban doctor, was the first to propose that yellow fever was transmitted by mosquitoes rather than direct human contact. Ooh. That's a huge moment. Yeah. That, okay. that resulted in a lot of lives saved. That's cool. Imagine a being a journalist in that year. It's Ooh. a big year. <laughs> a tiny baby who's been born. <laughs> in <Venn> penicillin. <laughs> um, there are lots of really nice tributes to Venn, John Venn. Mm-hmm. So that in the Cambridge College where he taught... There's a stained glass window, which is a Venn diagram. It's got three circles of overlapping stained glass, and in the middle it's much darker. So it's kind of half double glazed, and then half single glazed. And then a bit of it's triple glazed, because there are three circles. Wow, that Uh, must be really warm. Yeah, that's... So yeah, do you know what college he went to? Was it Gonville and Keys? Yeah, he went to Gonville and Keys, and he did a couple of other things in his life. So first of all, I should explain, he did invent the odd thing, and one of them was this automatic bowling machine for cricket balls. And the weird thing about this was that he invented it, and the Australian cricket team had come to visit Britain, and they visited Cambridge, where he was at the time, and he whipped it out. He was asked to get out his cricket bowling machine to entertain them, and it automatically bowled out Australia's best batsman four times running. Wow. So that I... was the glory days of English cricket. Um, but another thing he did, which I love, uh, it's, it's almost about the only other sort of thing that goes down in his biography, aside from all his mathematical stuff, is that he, with his son, compiled a book that was a biographical list of all known students, graduates and holders of office ever to go to the University of Cambridge from the beginning of history up until, well, he, he only got till 1751 before he died. What? So that was 136,000 biographies of people that wow. he wrote. What a dull yeah. book. <laughs> Isn't that, how did he find out those little biographies of That's all amazing. of these people? Yeah. It was incredible. School reports? Yeah, I guess so. They must have had some sort of records. I mean, if anyone's going to have records, it's going to be like a really old university that has had like a consistent way of doing things for years and years and years. Yeah. I think they obviously had something. Otherwise, it was just him and his you son made going, what do you reckon <laughs> Mike Smith did? <laughs> Do you know something else that has a Venn diagram on it in tribute is if you live in Clapham in London or you've ever been to Clapham, um, there's Venn Street, which you might know it's got Venn Street records on it, uh, which I really like. um, And that's named after not John Venn, after his grandfather, who happened to be the reverend uh, and erector in Clapham. And it does. So the sign for Venn Street also has a Venn diagram on it in tribute to the rector's grandson who invented the diagram. If yeah. I was a town planner and I wanted to celebrate John Venn, I would build a sort of double roundabout shaped oh, like gosh. a Venn diagram. <laughs> It'd be really, I mean, like, there'd be quite a lot of accidents probably. But... Yeah, the middle of the diagram would just be cars that have <laughs> crashed. Pile up. <laughs> <laughs> cars that drove on this way, cars that drove on this way. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that if you want to increase capacity on a cruise ship, you just simply have to cut it in half and add a whole new chunk of ship. That's done. (laughs) So weird. Yeah, I've seen an amazing video of it. What they do is they take these cruise ships and they dock them and they just literally slice down the middle... It's obviously a spot where the original design says if you ever need to cut this into two, this is where it happens. <laughs> what, is it like a sort of scissor symbol and a dotted line all the way around the ship? Yeah. <laughs> and so they cut it in half and they separate it and then they just insert the chunk that they would like to go inside and push as if it's a, the meat to a ship sandwich, <laughs> close it up and and then it's ready to go and it's fully functioning. It's How extraordinary. Is, like, the first problem I have with this is that all the rooms in a hotel or a cruise ship are numbered so you're going to get room like 17, 18, 18B, 18C, 18C because uh, yes, otherwise yeah. they're not going to make any sense. I bet they just renumber the rooms. 
Yeah, you can just take the numbers off, can't you? Probably. I'm you sure they make removable numbers. You do have to unscrew them, but they've got people to do that. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, in many ways, this is the smallest part of the operation. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's true. But they do. The they rename the ship usually when they when they change it as well. <laughs> yeah, love it, the Queen Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Got to come up with something that fits. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this was done with a ship um, which was called the Silver Spirit. That's one example, and they extended it when they cut it in half. They put in a forty-nine feet chunk into the middle of it. On the subject of cruise ships and slicing massive sections out of things, um, Disney own a lot of cruise liners, and they also have an island in the Bahamas. They bought it, and it's one of their destinations for their cruise ships. But it's sort of you know like a very sort of shallow, sandy island with a with a lot of shallow kind of beach around it. Mm. So it's too you can't get the cruise ship anywhere near to it. It's not like a sort of a steep kind of you know cliff into the sea. So what they did was they basically cut out an underwater parking space for their cruise ships. They just dug a massive trench that goes up towards the the island, so the cruise ship can just sort of reverse into it oh, and go right up cool. the island. Nice. And so if you look at it on Google Earth, there's just a kind of a rectangular dark patch of ocean mm-hmm. right next to it. It's amazing. Weird. It's so cool. I'll post a picture on my Twitter feed. I found a cruise ship for Dan. Whoa. Because we've been thinking of sending you away for a while. Thank you. Um, uh, w- have you guys heard of conspiracy cruises? <laughs> <laughs> Dan's <laughs> nodding, but he's not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> These are... I can't believe this exists. Go to their website. Um, it promises to deliver to anyone who's interested the truth about all these things. And it lists the truths that it'll deliver. So it's the truth about global warming, fracking, HIV, vaccinations. Then it gets weirder and weirder. So fluoridation, uh, forbidden archaeology, JFK, September 11th. Yeah. You're welcomed onto the ship by Captain Elvis Presley. So. <laughs> <laughs> what is they telling the truth about Star Wars agenda? Do you know what that is? That's to do with the, um, not the movies. There was a President Bush, I think he was talking about it a lot. The idea of having satellites yeah. that were able to shoot uh, down through the atmosphere. Basically mili- militarizing space. Yes, exactly. Got it, yeah. okay. Oh God, imagine booking for the real truth about <laughs> who Luke's father really was. <laughs> Dressed as C-3PO. <laughs> I think that person would get along perfectly well yeah. with everyone I else on board. The good news is that you don't have to have any vaccinations before you go on one of these cruises. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so weird. Where does it go? So it goes all over the place. They go to various places. I Bermuda think. Triangle. <laughs> That's the one place it doesn't go. <laughs> They're not crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, cost $3,000. Who these why do these wow. people don't have this money? A popular mechanics journalist went on it because he said he read about it and thought it would be really fun and thought, you know, you could go with some other kind of jokers and discuss stuff and said it was terrifying. <laughs> so everyone's really serious there, has taken it very seriously. He ended up being chased out of various conference rooms because I think they suspected him of something, uh, having to flee down corridors from people chasing him oh and shutting himself goodness. in his room. You know, they have, uh, as well as conspiracy cruises, they have 80s music cruises. So they have whole cruises where just musical stars from the 80s perform. So uh, there was a great write-up of one which mostly focused on Tony Hadley of Spandau Ballet. And he said, I saw an advert in the paper last year for music cruises. I couldn't believe it. There was Huey Lewis in the news, Pat Benatar, Crosby, Stills and Nash, and Alfie Bow. I phoned my manager and asked, why am I not singing at sea? He said, don't worry, Tony, I'm already on it. And <laughs> this, this does happen a lot now, um, not just for 80s stars. So um, the band Weezer have a Weezer cruise and they invite a lot of bands on. There's a comedy cruise as well. It was just a bunch of comedians would go off on this cruise. And they were the entertainment. That sounds oh. like hell on earth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it really does.
else I'd throw myself in. Um, actually, speaking of comedians, there's a really good story about a cruise ship comedian from 1991. Do you, have you guys heard of MTS Oceanus, which sank in 91? No, no. So uh, this was a huge cruise ship. Um, it sank and the captain and his crew were the first people off the ship when it sank straight away. Bad form. Got a, they'd, very bad form. They didn't even make an announcement uh, <laughs> oh, over the tannoy really saying we've crashed. That's a real faux pas, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, they basically, the passengers heard this explosion uh, on the ship. Nothing happened for ages. So they went to check where the captain was supposed to be and he was gone. He left the ship unmanned and uh, all his crew had gone and the only person left to save them was um, the ship entertainer called Moss Hills. And he saved everyone on the ship. It's this great story where he rescued the 571 people so first of all he worked out how to use a ship's radio to phone a mayday thing to he's, say we're in trouble you're a comedian he's got microphone experience <laughs> yeah. makes sense. is this thing on <laughs> <laughs> you have been on a cruise and there's a massive explosion <laughs> maybe it was he just performed some comedy and the people at the other end thought god we better save those poor passengers um but yeah these helicopters came and lifeboats uh were used to rescue them and he rounded everyone up and got them onto the lifeboats and organized it and he and his wife and his fellow deputy entertainer were the last people off the ship do you know what happened? So I was looking up ship launching ceremonies. Oh, yeah. And these things happen with cruise ships as well. The first water to touch the ship is caught, sealed in a bottle, and then displayed in the captain's office. How do you it? catch... I don't know. What a great point. What if you try uh... to collect the water and um, there's a fish in it? Do you think you tip the fish out or do you then... Because that would be quite a good outcome, wouldn't it? Because at least you don't have this tedious bottle of water in your captain's office. You've well, you got, got a, a dead fish. fish in there. <laughs> <laughs> a lovely little memento. <laughs> the environmental damage your massive cruise ship does to the ocean. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> Looking on the bright side, are we? Just on, You mentioned ceremonies. Yeah. I didn't know about the line crossing ceremony. Do you guys know about this? No. The, this happens um, on all sorts of ships. Is that when you tell a really inappropriate joke on a cruise ship? And everyone's <laughs> like, no, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is the line crossing ceremony. It's not that. It is when you cross the equator. But this is the thing that happens on a lot of cruise ships. They do this ceremony. Um, and in the Navy, they do this ceremony. And in also, like in Merchant Navy, they do the ceremony. And it's been happening since at least the early 1800s. Um, and Darwin had it done to him, for instance. So on the Beagle, it's really funny to read his diary from there because he really looked down on it and was like, come on, I'm a bloody scientist I'm not down for all this kind of banter it was an initiation thing where you had to do lots of as he described it extremely disagreeable and unpleasant things <laughs> so there was, there was a lot of simulating sex acts in the olden days and stuff I think really yeah and you, what you're told to do is well first of all you get kind of well what happened to Darwin is he got battened down in the hatchways in the dark until he was super hot and then you get dragged up by the crew and you have to go to the court of Neptune so it's basically you have to go to Neptune and be accused of your crime and you're known as a poly until you've passed the equator successfully and then you become, you know, a seasoned traveller. And yeah, so Darwin was trapped down and then dragged up onto the deck and then he had buckets of water thrown over him. He was blindfolded. He was made to stand on a plank above this huge bath of water and then they tipped him in. Um, he said, and, what, and he thought it was the actual sea because he was blindfolded. Oh, probably, yeah. That's a funny trick to play. That is funny, yeah. Um, on walking the plank, mm-hmm. there's a Norwegian cruise ship which has a walk the plank experience. Oh, they okay. make you walk the plank. Well, I think you volunteer to walk yourself <laughs> along, and that, and it's an eight foot long plank, but you do it wearing a safety harness. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. What so you just slam into the side of the ship? <laughs> <and you drop. laughs> Do 
Okay, it's time for fact number three, and that is Alex. Uh, my fact this week is that Stephen Mangan, Michael Parkinson, Eamon Holmes, and Cherie Blair have all been dropped from the TV program Who Do You Think You Are? because their ancestry is too boring. <laughs> <laughs> are they? Are, were they dropped mid-program? Uh, they were. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. No, they were. They were signed up to do it because the program approached you and say, "Would you like to do the program?" And mm. you sign up and say yes and agree to do all of the things. And then they start researching. And then at, this, at some point, they went back to these people being like, "Actually, you know what? Let's leave it <laughs> because it's going to be rubbish." The good news is that their full story has made a new series called "Who Cares Who You Think You Are." <laughs> it was very funny because it sounds like they have to be quite diplomatic when they tell them. So with Sherry Blair, one of the producers said, "We spent hours locked in rooms with Sherry's publicist, secretary, manager, personal assistant. Eventually, we had to say, you are very interesting, but we don't have a show." <laughs> But yeah. it's amazing because Cherie Blair is a booth and she is a descendant of John Wilkes Booth, as in it's John her... John Wilkes Booth? Yeah, who yeah. killed Abraham Lincoln. Wow. Yeah, so it's not a direct descendant. It's John Wilkes Booth's uncle was Cherie Blair's direct ancestor. Yeah. And um, surely there was enough in there alone. She was really disappointed, wasn't she? It's, it is kind of sad. All these people were, in fact. I think she was disappointed. I think Michael Parkinson might have said he was really sad as well. He, he said he was gutted. He said yeah. it's the one show that he would have been happy the one to show. have been on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the only show that of all the celebrity-based programs that he actively uh, wanted to take part in. Not even Parkinson. He didn't even enjoy that. <laughs> Jesus. Steve Mangans is really funny because they found out that all of his ancestors were from the same place in Ireland. And the same very small place in Ireland. He's, yeah, his mother and father grew up in adjacent villages on the west coast of Ireland, wow. but they never met until they both happened to come to London and then meet each other there. Wow. Um, I think that's so interesting that your whole family can be from one tiny spot. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, I would love to see a program done on Japan's emperor, you know, the imperial family in Japan, mm-hmm. because they have a family tree that's traced back so far that it goes into mythological characters. <laughs> At that point, I would say you've lost the trace. Yeah, yeah, but, it, but they believe it in Japan. So it's a part of the official family tree and it goes into effectively, you know, people who are up on clouds. And, <laughs> and... But where's the crossover point? There oh, must be a crossover Yeah, we know, point. we know person, where it is. Person, 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 God. <laughs> yeah. 660 to 585 BC was the life of Jimu, who was an emperor. And it's from there. And uh, his wife, Isukeyori, um, they both have family trees that disappear off into mythology <laughs> with amazing cloud-flying emperors. I like the fact that you say it traces back so far that it goes into mythology as if you actually think that if you go back far enough in history, you will come to mythological creatures. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great to be the kids of the like, well, my father is a thunder throwing god and my yeah. mother is from Suffolk. <laughs> <laughs> and how do they meet? <laughs> And there's also um, the Guinness Book of World Records actually um, acknowledges the longest lineage of a family tree that is traceable. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's called the Lurie lineage. Um, that, that's it's the Lurie family, um, and it includes people like Sigmund Freud and Martin Buber. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Sigmund Freud, one of the most famous <laughs> men in history, and Martin Buber. Every son just wants to suckle on his mother's boobies. <laughs> Oh my god, this is crazy. This lineage traces back to Jahil Luri, a 13th century rabbi in Brest Litovsk. <laughs> Brest Litovsk. <laughs> yeah. In Brest Litovsk. 
Wow, Freud oh, is just steeped in yeah. boobies. Yeah. Although, of course, when you trace stuff back far enough, as we've said before, then uh, you you know you all unite around the same person. Like we're, we're all related all, to Martin yeah. Boober. <laughs> Aren't we all boobers at the end of the day? <laughs> there is. There was a lot of this mythology stuff in the past, wasn't there? As in, there was a theory that um, the British royals were descended from Brutus. Was there? Yeah, like but Brutus, and it all dated back to the fall of Troy. Okay. That was the thing. Uh, there was a Brutus who, the Roman Brutus was descended, and not the Caesar Brutus, there was an earlier, more mythological right. Brutus, oh. was descended from the people who left Troy, the, the Trojans, uh, when they left after the fall of the city, and that through Brutus, that's how it descended to the really? English monarchs in the 15th and 16th centuries. Yeah, that was the myth. Well, Cherie Blair is related to Brutus, Junius Brutus Booth, the father of John Wilkes Booth, oh. who was named after uh, wow. Brutus, yeah, from mm. the play. How many? And he was a very famous actor, and what's very interesting about him is that he also attempted to assassinate a president. I tried to assassinate a president? Well, he sent a letter to President Andrew Jackson. He demanded that he pardon two pirates, and uh, he refu- And he, there was a threat of assassination uh, if he didn't, um, and he got caught for it. But yeah, mm. isn't that weird? His dad was attempting wow. to, yeah. Well, like father, like son, you know, you know what you grow up with. You're often influenced by it, aren't you? Um, just on Cherie Blair's family, Tony Booth was her dad. Yeah. Uh, not a difficult one to trace back, obviously, but he was a famous actor. <laughs> the, you had the discovery scene. <laughs> Can't believe you didn't find out the Tony Booth thing, guys. It's right there. Uh, he was an actor who was, he was famous. He was in Until Death Do Us Part um, and various other things. Um, weirdly, he had bit parts in EastEnders and Emmerdale, and he played the same character in both, which is a tramp who acts as a spiritual guide to one of the characters. Cool. D- presumably, the people who made... Which was it, Emmerdale and EastEnders? Yeah. Presumably the people who made, say, EastEnders saw the tramp giving spiritual advice <laughs> to one of the characters in Emmerdale and thought, we've got to get this tramp. Yeah. <laughs> um, but do you know what other films he did, Tony Booth, which I didn't know? No. And it's just such a weird it's, idea. It's, it's saucy films, isn't it's it? It's such saucy films. <laughs> really? So he did the Confessions of series, which was in the 70s, and it was like Confessions of a Window Cleaner, which embarrassingly was oh. the top grossing British film of 1974. Yes. And it's sort of comedy sex films. Yeah, a lot of boobers in there. A lot <laughs> of boobers. Yeah. He was in Didn't... all of these, Confessions of a Driving Instructor. And the plot is, as you would predict, a window cleaner goes around shagging lots of housewives <laughs> uh, and having threesomes and stuff. But what? he's on the other side of the window. That's the tragedy of the window cleaner, isn't it? Yeah, but he can drill a hole because they have... Um... <laughs> drills, famously, <laughs> window cleaners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you want the windows just cleaned or shall I do the drilling service too? <laughs> Yeah, I could do with some air. The latch mechanism's broken, so yeah, chill through it, thanks. Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Andy. My fact is that wombats can kill predators by crushing them with their bottoms. (laughs) So it does require quite a lot of setup, this... um, Prank, I'm going to call it. <laughs> prank? Uh, defense mechanism. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say prank. Okay, fair enough. Um, so there's an essay in the London Review of Books uh, by a writer called Catherine Rundle, which is all about wombats, and it's full of very interesting facts about them. So wombats uh, have burrows. They dig lots of burrows, actually, and they have very, very hard bottoms. So we've mentioned before that sometimes they will plug the ground with their bums yeah. when there are predators around, and the predators won't be able to... Like a door. Yeah, like a door. Get past, yeah. And so... It, Turns out also that the they, scientists have found shattered fox skulls inside wombat burrows. 
So if a fox follows a wombat into its burrow, the wombat will crush the fox's head against the wall of its own burrow and kill it. Cool. It's yeah. very, very what powerful. What a way bum. to go. What a, I mean, yeah. yeah. Or the roof. Yeah, apparently with dingoes, they'll just slam them up against the roof. Incredible pranks. I'd love to see (laughs) Harry Hill do the voiceovers. (laughs) (laughs) You've been crushed. (laughs) They're so good with their bums, though, because they can, like, it's classic QI fact is that they, wombats have cubic Mm feces. And then I didn't even know this, they stack that, like, they stack their poo. And it's supposed to be, scientists think it might be some sort of, like, status symbol to sort of put your poo in a high tower, which you can do because they're squares. Because they're square. So they do up to 80 to 100 a day or per night rather and they they're for display purposes effectively so they don't want them rolling off rocks when they put them up on a rock for it to be seen well it's yeah it's to mark territory isn't it yeah to attract people but it's a bit rough on the baby wombats because wombats obviously are marsupials and as we've said in a previous podcast uh the babies face backwards in the pouch and so what this means is the they're always pooing and the baby wombat's face is usually poking out of its thing, the pouch just below its ass, and is just shoved in this pool all the time. Oh, no. Yeah. As that baby, good. you've got shit in your face 80 to 100 times a day. The head is just poking out, isn't it? Of yeah. Behind, uh, at the back of the mother. Yeah. But the weird thing is that they don't have cubic anuses. They don't have square anuses hmm. to produce the cubic poo. There's a mystery. It's not really a mystery because we know how they make it. Oh, we do know how they make it. We do know how they make it. So it's in the... It's bizarre. It takes them 14 to 18 days to digest food. Mm -hmm. It's very, very long. So by the time it gets out of them, it's really compact and it's had all the nutrition taken out of it. You know, it's very efficiently done. And they have ridges in the first bit of their intestine which shapes the food as it's being digested into these cubic shapes. And then they also have special bones in their bottoms to keep the poo in the cubic shape. Wow. Yeah. It's like an inbuilt cookie cutter. Like it it's is. Just, it's yeah. holding the... It genuinely yeah. is. In December, wow. they do Christmas trees as well. <laughs> <laughs> it would be great if they could vary it, like a, a balloon magician. But imagine if we could do... Not coming to your children's parties. She's <laughs> <laughs> booked the wombat again. <laughs> what I like um, about wombats is you can see pictures of them where when the young wombat that's in the pouch is almost mature enough to leave, it's probably poking its head out and it grazes, so it'll be eating grass out of the back and the mother will eat grass out the front oh. and it just looks like it's a two-headed <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> wow amazing you must have seen them dan because you, you i've many Australian. times yeah, yeah. um i've seen them in captivity they're so beautiful they're my favorite animal i have to say i saw one for the first time this year yeah that really amazing oh when we went to oz yes yeah, yeah, of course yeah. and australian zoos apparently they have the second highest danger rating so the only things that beat them are lions and bears and then as a zookeeper wow. the next thing you've got to be terrified of is the wombat oh my God. <laughs> for a large guinea pig it's quite weird. Yeah, and they, they they run so fast as well. They yeah. can run as fast as Usain Bolt. Mm. I mean, faster, faster. For, for longer. Yeah. yeah. Well, they can. I think they can run at 25 miles an hour, and his top speed is about 27. Yeah. But Usain Bolt can run at uh, 27 miles an hour, give or take, for about, what, nine seconds. Wombats can run at 25 miles an hour for 90 seconds. Well, so if they were trying to catch him, they would. We don't know whether or not <laughs> Usain Bolt could keep that up for longer. That's just what he that's where he that's has true. to no stop. one's ever put him on a longer track he's done a 200 meter but that's a different discipline he's you're running at a different pace there that's a good point so if he reaches a t- if he if we just said just keep going when you get to the end are would, you saying you think he could run at that speed for a kilometer 
Well, a minute and a half would be because that's what a wombat can do. Yeah. I'd be curious to know what his deceleration. Would you? Was. What you think he might just be choosing to run two hundred <laughs> meters a bit slower? Because <laughs> never mind, I'll win anyway. <laughs> I'm, I was hoping that we glossed over my my theory, but no, thank well, you for bringing any... that back up. Yeah, yeah. I was looking up other animals that use their asses in interesting ways. Cool. Um, there's a type of caterpillar called the skipper caterpillar, which does the thing called scat firing. Um, so it's able to launch its poo out of out of its back end, kind of a high speed. Right. It was, um, I think, it's scientists think it was genetically evolved as a way of just getting your poo away from you, just you know for hygiene reasons. Yeah. But it's also pretty good for um, shooting like wasps that come too near to you. <laughs> wow. Isn't that great? Yeah. No, so oh, that yeah. is like a paintball gun or something. Or like exactly. clay, clay pigeon shooting kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Imagine poo wasp shooting. Yeah. <laughs> we had evolved to be able to shoot pigeons with poo mm. as they approached us yeah i think clothing would have evolved differently it would have to been. allow you easy access <laughs> to a weapon yeah. yeah yeah but it's it's amazing how it works so it poo comes out in pellets and so they come out and and then they get sort of stored inside a special uh, launch pad an anal kind of launch pad um and then it <laughs> pumps up the blood pressure like you know when like in a computer game we're like uh, yeah. yeah and then um and and then kind of like launches it like a catapult Wow. That's incredible. What? <laughs> so they poo inside themselves and then yeah, pretty much. store it up yeah. for launch? Into the, uh, like, the, the, what's it called? Like, into the chamber. Yeah. So you've got a false bottom or you've got a exactly. second, second, a second bottom, bottom inside yeah. your first yeah. bottom. Yeah. The first. <laughs> They're all magicians. Wow. That's extraordinary. That's incredible. That's really amazing. <laughs> so there was a, I'd rather like this. So there used to be a giant wombat, which were, weighed three tons. It was about the size of a rhino. And it lived um, until really recently. So we think it only died out around the time that humans first reached Australasia. So there's a big question about who killed the giant wombat and whether it was us, basically. Okay. Um, Sounds like it was us. It yeah. does sound like it was us, but maybe it was environmental. Yeah. Or maybe it was um, you know, climate factors or things like that. It was probably yeah. us. It was yeah. probably us who killed all the giant wombats. But they, they were alive until about... 50,000 years ago. Yeah. So it's really recent that we had these things. As big as rhinos. As big yeah. as rhinos. Imagine that. That's crazy. But, and and their hindquarters were very developed for their size. So they had like like super anuses. Oh man, yeah. you could build a pyramid out of the squares <laughs> yeah. coming out of that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I did find a thread online saying, what if a marsupial had evolved into a horse-like creature? How would that have affected us? It was just a discussion forum saying, would it have been cool if we could have... Uh, domesticated the giant wombat yeah. and used that uh. in equestrian ways. Yes. But they are very hard to domesticate. And I, also, if you're when wrong- they're extinct by 55,000 years, <laughs> <laughs> so I reckon we'd be overrun with them and living underground. And <laughs> it would be a nightmare. <laughs> Riding them, presumably, you'd have to face backwards because of the pouch thing, which I think would be quite difficult. Wait, are you proposing that you get into the pouch? I assume that's how you'd ride it, right? No, you get on it. No, you get on top of it. You oh, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. What if it had a, a baby well, it runs yeah, on it in the pouch? Yeah, that's a good point. Also, we've established you just be having that shit all over your face all the time. It's not ideal. No. Yeah. Is there an animal living currently that has a pouch big enough that a human could sit inside it? I don't of think living so. Species? No. I mean, the kangaroo's probably got the biggest pouch. Yeah, the yeah. kangaroo's. Yeah. Even quite large kangaroos um, you can't couldn't fit, fit a baby in there. Speaking from experience. You can fit a baby into a kangaroo's pouch. So? 
Yeah. Mm-mm. But they're gross and disgusting and you wouldn't want to do it. Ah, we're talking about just, you know, theoretical. theoretical. Yeah. Well, hang on, you have a baby. I have a baby. That's all <laughs> I'm saying. I, you could definitely fit a human baby into a kangaroo's pouch. I don't think so. The largest, the largest kangaroos that go into pouches are definitely the size of human babies. Actually, you're right. Babies are small, aren't they? No, you're yeah. right. Joey's can be massive, yeah. Joey's can be massive. They stay <laughs> yeah. in there for ages. Yeah, you're right. Either way, I'm calling social services before you get a chance <laughs> to try it out. <laughs> Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. Alex. At Alex Bell. And Chazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at No Such Thing, or you can go to our Facebook page, No Such Thing as a Fish, or go to our website, No Such Thing as a Fish.com. On it, you'll find everything from a link to our newly released book, the book of the year. 2018. It's also got tour dates. You can get tickets for all the upcoming live shows that we're doing. Has a link to all the previous episodes from our podcast, and it has anything else you might want. Photos, contact details, a behind-the-scenes documentary called Behind the Gills. It's it's an awesome place, and it was built by Alex, who's joining us on this podcast today. Thank you very much, Alex. Okay, we will be back again next week. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.